and welcome to Map Bites episode 107. I'm Elaine Giles and I'm here with my co-host Mike Thomas. In this episode, Mike's Bikes and Hikes. You know what that sounds like, don't you? Go on. That sounds like back sack and c- Don't start. I've only just got the pair of you back in here. Don't get us banned before we've even got started. Sorry, Siri. And just a minute, why am I apologising? You said it. True. Sorry, Siri. That's better. So, it's been a while. <clears throat> but after a slight hiatus, we're back behind the microphones. The Magbytes crew is in the house. Before we get caught up with what we've been up to, there's a few things to mention from the last show. You remember the last show? Shh, don't draw attention to it, they'll never know. Yes, we mentioned a TV programme from our youth that I mentioned kept me company as I pulled many an all-nighter. The Hitman and her? Well, we heard from Graham, who, wait for it, watched the show whilst at work. At work? That's what I thought. Got to get me a job like that. Sadly, of course, the hitman and her no longer provides nocturnal entertainment for the otherwise narcoleptic amongst us. It's now election night coverage that does that. Very true. You did stay up all night last week. The Channel 4 coverage was nothing short of hysterical. As was the BBC's, to be honest, but in a completely different way. Um, there's something very satisfying watching those that should know better getting their comeuppance in the form of a rather large public humiliation, I find. Anyway, we also heard from Grant. Grant was bemoaning the great apple crisis of last autumn. I instantly added his comments to the file for the next show. Yeah, this is all organised, you know, believe it or not. Anyway, Grant reminded me of a few issues that my mind had managed to blank out. I think it was to save me the pain of thinking about them. He said, my darling Elaine, this is how the MacBiters talk to me, you know. My darling Elaine, we just need a podcast. With all that's going wrong, the iPhone 7, the MacBook Pro and all its imperfections, a £200 book nestling under the coffee table and the X on the automator's back. I think you'd have plenty to say for a podcast. Grant. I'd forgotten the coffee table book. So had I. I was still mourning Automator's potential demise, but the coffee table book has got to mark the low point of Apple's year, in my opinion. You didn't buy one then? I most certainly did not. They should be looking forward to future tech, not indulging themselves with an introspective indulgent trip down memory lane and charging you for the privilege. Don't hold back. Tell us what you really think. She doesn't need encouraging. So, back to our quick catch-up. Some things were to be expected. I'm sensing it might involve sunsetting. Oh, it did. Google sunsetted while we were on a slight hiatus. Hangouts on air. Not a biggie for me, for a change. I moved to YouTube live streaming before it was a public service. They invited me oh, way back when, and it was invitation only. And that's, that's still working, believe it or not. Didn't you say Microsoft are on a sunsetting spree too? Yes, I got an email. Don't know why you didn't, though. Worried about that. Uh, Docs.com is going in December this year. I never used it anyway. That could explain why you never got the email. Exactly. Mm. Um, it was... It's actually quite hard to explain because I think it's going for a reason that um, I've not actually mentioned to you. Docs.com let you host Microsoft file formats on the web in a way that people could view them so they looked pretty. So they didn't have to download them. They could actually view these files online. But there was a bit of an uproar a few weeks back because apparently people were 
I don't know who these people were, but people were getting confused, bless them, uh, between OneDrive and Docs.com, thinking that they could upload their documents to Docs.com and they weren't public. But obviously, the whole essence of Docs.com was that the documents were public. Your OneDrive space is private unless you choose to share, but Docs.com is public by default. So, um, because of that public nature of it, they're recommending that you transfer all your content to SlideShare. Now, given that they own SlideShare, who I think were bought by LinkedIn and then Microsoft bought LinkedIn, if you can still following along with this, um, it does make sense to move it over to SlideShare. But do you know what I really missed? A real-time sharing of Scratchgate with the MacBiters. I don't remember Scratchgate. Well, look, there was a new iPhone. And whenever there's a new iPhone, we have to have a new crisis. And it becomes, whatever the crisis is, gate. Remember? Yes, I Bumper don't remember. Gate. I remember. Yeah, it's all coming back. I now. remember Bumper Gate. I just don't remember Scratchgate. Ah, well, we missed Scratchgate. Well, we missed sharing it real time with the MacBiters. Um, it, it was the new shiny black one. If you stuck it in a vice and applied sandpaper to it, it scratched. Hmm. Didn't come as much of a surprise to me, but apparently, you know, there were there were videos on YouTube. People were doing this and um, that became Scratchgate. But there wasn't just one crisis this time either. Oh, no. There was Hissgate. Did that pass you by too? It did. You must have been too busy using your new iPhone. Mm. Um, yeah, it, it was reports that the iPhone 7 Plus, only the big one, makes an audible hissing noise whenever it's under intense strain. Don't we all? Yeah, usually because our tech isn't behaving. But it didn't stop there. Oh, it got better still. This was followed by Bundled Budgate. Now, I know you don't remember that, do you? No. Bundled Budgate. And you think I'm making these up, but no, these were genuine. Bundled earbuds were falling into a catatonic stupor before they applied a software update and it fixed it. I do love an iPhone launch, you know. Can't wait to see what calamities await this year's release. The funny thing is, I'll bet most of you read about these crises at the time, like I do, and now you can barely remember them. So pretty much all blown out of proportion then. Some other things that happened that were less expected. Adblock software started selling, yep, you guessed it, ads. Was this a surprise to you as it was to me? Yes. Mm. This is what happens when, when we are somewhat delinquent. Yeah, but strange things start happening. Uh, in relation to that, Dropbox had 68 million accounts hacked. Did you get the email about that? If I did, I don't remember it. The one telling you to change your password, it was important. Oh, yes. That one. Yeah, yeah, I did change my password. Um, I think I changed it already because it was only accounts after 2012. But yeah, I did get a couple of emails with some demo accounts that I'd got and that needed dealing with. And then do you remember the event that we had? We've actually had, believe it or not, three MacBytes Lives between shows. Not that I'm drawing attention to that at all. Um, do you remember? There we were, iPhone 7 launch. And what happened? What did happen? You were probably defrosting the credit card at the time. Probably. But um, yeah, we were all sat there. The reason being that we were watching the live stream was to get first news of everything. Yeah, remember that now? And what happened? Someone whose name has never been made public, but we all have shrewd ideas, um, released the video before Tim managed to announce it. Is it coming back to you now? Not at all, no. You must have been either with the credit card trying to chip the ice off it or actually purchasing. Oh, there were so many things that's happened. It's unbelievable. The developer certificates that expired and half my software with them. Now, I remember that one. 
was that did you remember that just remember it or did you remember it specifically because i wasn't pleased no, i remember it because it affected me oh right okay then mm. Mm. anyway worse than that and i bet you do remember this one was the calendar spam yes because that affected me <laughs> there's a thread here <laughs> What about things that affect me? Oh, no, we'll save the domestic for later. Um, yeah, the calendar spam was more than a little annoying. More than a little annoying. But you know what was worse than that for me? Because I did manage to beat that into submission with a rather large stick. It was closely followed by photo spam. You've probably not noticed that you've got photo spam, have you? I didn't get any photo spam. I'm, oh, um... you probably did. Have you ever opened photos? No. No, well, you see, neither had I. But when I did, it was a bad idea. Um, to be honest, both of those, as I was, wait for it, prepping for this show. Oh, she preps for the show. As I was prepping for the show, um, I did a quick search on it because I'd actually installed um, a clean install, which I'll talk about more later. But I did a clean install of um, Sierra. And the first thing I noticed, you know, your notification centre? Mm. there were two items in it and I thought oh how lovely a welcome message from Apple and I went into it no two photo spams and I thought oh so that's still rumbling on then so I went and I had a look at the Apple forum and I found one of the posts and there were 3,114 me tooed on one of the posts you know when you summarize these things they do actually sound ridiculous I know. Let's just file the lot and you couldn't make this stuff up and move on. Because doubtless, there will be more stuff that we will be filing in the same place within weeks. But anyway, we heard from McJim. McJim the real. McJim was not a happy man. A bit like you then. Apart from the man bit, yes. Anyway, I think what McJim had to say would be a perfect way to set the scene for looking at all the news from WWDC, to look back at why we weren't really expecting much. And McJim summed it up perfectly after the last two Apple events. He said, Some would say I'm an Apple fanboy as I have a few Apple products, an iPhone 7 Plus, MacBook Pro Retina 13-inch, iPad Pro 9-inch and an Apple TV. And that makes me an Apple apologist. But I'd say I'm not, and here's why. I'm not old enough to have been through the bad old days where Apple stumbled from one expensive computer after another, but I do remember the days when the Mac was in single-digit share market share. Apple's second coming on the return of Steve Jobs was something to see and experience. Here was a firm close to extinction trying to sell far too many devices which were hard to tell apart and even for then far too expensive for the many. Steve Jobs' story is now history, but no less impressive. But since his death, things have changed and not all for the good. Problem product launches, software that should never have been released, were all things that we so-called fanboys thought only Microsoft could do. But as we've all experienced, Apple has had its share of clangers too. Where Apple led, now they follow. Yes, Apple hasn't always been the first to launch into a product market, but they normally would have exceeded all our, our expectations when they did. Look at the iPhone sales figures and the popularity on that one. When Steve Jobs died, all the doom mongers predicted Apple's death too, but Apple rose above all that and continued to be successful. Profit margins and sales figures soared above all predictions, making all the doom mongers shrink back into the dark from where they came from but not to be gone forever. 
A few years ago, something changed at Apple. We began to see things slip. Software was being released, causing users to become incandescent with rage as their precious items were bricked. Some of the problems were not all Apple's making. Graphics chips, motherboards and other faulty parts caused Apple problems years after the device's launch, but due to the way Apple dealt with these issues, didn't put Apple in a good light and left a bad taste in users' mouths with class action lawsuits being filed against them. Even some left and went over to the dark side. Then another problem reared its head. Although Apple were leaders in the industrial design due to the visionary leadership of Johnny Ive, we began to see a change creep in. Changes to products such as the iMac and MacBook computers and the iPhone 2 began to become same old, same old with only the displays, internals or things improved or removed much to the anger of many outside of Apple. As before, Apple proved that we could do without these things, but that didn't stop all this disapproval from the outside. But here's where I show that I'm indeed not a fanboy. Although I defended Apple on the changes made to the latest iPhone, I'm not saying they were right to have removed the jack pin either. We've seen with the latest MacBook Pros that they're willing to make changes that again will infuriate many, but force us to move on to new possibilities. But again, I think they've gone too far. We now have the loss of the MagSafe plug replaced by the new USB-C type connectors. How many Apple laptops will now become very expensive Frisbees, I have to ask. Also, the loss of the SD card reader, which photographers rely on to transfer images to edit on their MacBooks. How many will jump ship because of that? Dongles anyone? Products that were the lifeblood of Apple and some the saviour of Apple too haven't seen an update in some years. Take the MacBook Pro for example, long forgotten. Can't innovate my ass, someone muttered. I can't help but feel Apple needs something to change for the better as the bad things of the past slowly return. Products that compete against others in the range and at different prices could be argued as a way to let those who can't afford the latest and greatest Mac or MacBook buy into the dream. But it could also be argued that we've been here before. Remember John Scully, anyone? And now we're seeing the prices rise dramatically with the latest MacBook Pro reaching ever skyward with the possibility that most that would have bought a MacBook Pro priced out. Who can afford the three and a half to four thousand pounds or three to four thousand dollars to buy one? Mac Pro anyone? This time we can't blame Brexit for the price increases on Apple products as in the USA and everywhere else has suffered large increases on the price of items sold by Apple. We've seen a similar problem with Microsoft where when Barma took charge they were constantly shooting themselves in the foot but now with Satya Nadella at the helm things are on the up with Windows 10, Surface family of laptops and the newly announced Surface Studio. We may have seen something like these before but at least Microsoft is now innovating. So does Apple need a change at the helm? Should Tim Cook step aside? Who could replace him? Hair Force One maybe. Over the years, I've tried different things. I've had a Nexus 7-inch tablet and a Samsung mobile phone. I even had a Microsoft computer way back in the day, but I've been finding myself look with envy at some of the stuff Microsoft and their brethrens produce. The Windows phone actually looked good, even though I never bought into that world. 
And so to sum up, Apple really does need to step up and deliver what they said they would. For the last two years, Tim Cook has said Apple has great things coming, but so far, none, at least in my eyes, have arrived yet. Although we need new iMacs, Mac minis, iPads, iPhones, Mac Pros, etc., we also need software that works, adds more functionality, and most importantly, the next great thing. He wasn't wrong, you know, and he wasn't alone either. I, at the time and subsequently, it's scary how many articles I've seen in the last few months from people actually leaving the Apple world. One of the earliest was um, an article on F-stoppers. That was followed by another post by Trey Ratcliffe, and it was called something like Apple are dead to me now. His toys were well and truly out of the pram and took the opportunity to make a video of how to switch two windows. To me, it got to the point where I felt it was like bandwagon jumping and a major case of the Me Too's. I wondered how much of it was genuine and how much of it was controversy equals viewers. Uh, there were other articles that were a little less spectacular, shall we say. Um, it was a piece in UK Business Insider. I'll put the links to these in the show notes. It's interesting to look at them now. Now we're past WWDC and, and to see, you know, was it enough? Not enough? Um, and was it more a case of Apple's apathy rather than Microsoft seeing the light? Because this article was talking about the renaissance of Microsoft. I don't think it helped the last event, not the WWDC one, the one before that. I don't think it helped when Microsoft announced that Surface Studio the night before the event. Oh, yes. Someone was drooling in a most inelegant manner over that one. <clears throat> Too right. But in my defence, what I really wanted was a Surface Studio running OS Sierra. Like that's going to happen. <clears throat> I wonder if you could hack it. No, 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 it's not. No, 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 no. You see, this is the problem. I start thinking, I wonder if I could do X. And then I spend three weeks doing it and forget that the reason I was doing it was to actually to do something else. That's why I'm not a system engineer anymore. It does my head in. Um, anyway, what have Apple tempted us with in the last few months? Yeah, that was the problem. Uh, there hasn't been much news coming out of Apple, much less sexy tempting kit but then there was wwdc looming mm, my hopes were not high i honestly hand on heart we knew we'd see something about the next version of mac os we knew we'd see something about ios 11 but i honestly feared we might struggle to get much more than a siri speaker oh joy more work for me you mean pretty much my my rationale was it would be apple's perfect computer no keyboard, no screen, no mouse, no trackpad, and no user-replaceable parts. And don't forget hideously expensive. Exactly. Anyway, we finally got some new toys. Were we happy? Well, traditionally, we have a great time in the MacBytes chat room anyway, and this time was no exception. But there was new kit as well. What more could a self-respecting MacBiter need? I noticed, and I know you did, the iMacs, the new iMacs, not the iMac Pro, just the iMacs, although I, I'm guessing the iMac Pro will be the same. Shockingly, not thinner than the previous release. Yes, I was waiting for that. You were disappointed then. He couldn't seem to get past the extent of the nits and how they dithered. Too much hilarity in the chat room. Was it weird that they announced these iMacs at WWDC? I know they have before. I can't remember when. But I think it was in the last 10, 11 years, maybe just the once, that there's actually been iMac hardware at a WWDC event? Well, as I said, it's, it's a developer's conference. It's not 
the place for hardware announcements of any no, kind. Which made me think, was it a reaction to Apple being stung by the amount and the ferocity of the criticism after the autumn events? And it felt like they were throwing in everything this time. Mm, except Eddie Q's dad dancing. Thankfully. Can honestly say that wasn't missed. Um, I was just saying in the chat room that we'd not seen Harry Potter. Kevin Lynch for the uninitiated looks after the Apple Watch. When he allegedly appeared on stage. You say allegedly because with that beard, he actually looked like Harry Potter's granddad. Yes, he did appear to have morphed into Dumbledore. Um, but his main offering seemed to be, unless I was giddy with excitement about something else, more watch faces. Um, which for me are becoming the games demo of the watch section of the keynote. Could be just me, though. Then there was the seriously moment of the night. There was. Hi, Sierra. I thought he was joking like last time. I was convinced he was joking. I was waiting for the real name. And I was there literally thought, there's a new Mac OS, it's called. And he said, hi, Sierra. And he carried on and carried on. I thought, just a minute, can we get back to the name? You know, you've, you've not told us the real name. And then I realised that's the real name. Mm. On the upside, El Capitan was worse, wasn't it? For a name. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a slight improvement on El Capitan. The name El Capitan was that bad. I never even installed El Cap. No. Never and, mind. No, I, I named it something else, which I won't say here. Good, good, good. Bleak Machine's broken. <laughs> anyway, iOS 11, that looks awesome. And I'm in the market for a new iPad. Well, me too, aren't I always? Um, mm, need, want, need to be... I need to get Jane onto that. If she could just, you know, pump me up, Jane, so I can go and buy something. Tell me that I really do need it. I just can't make my mind up which one. I'd have said the new 10-inch... Because I have got an iPad Pro, the, the large one, which is just over 18 months old. And actually, if I'm honest, I have got um, an iPad Pro little one as well. But never mind that. It's a new size and I have to have all the sizes and all the colours. So I saw that new 10 inch and then I thought that's the one. And then I saw the highlight of the night for me, which was Affinity Photo. Ooh. I'd bought it before he finished speaking. And the problem was, which isn't actually a problem, but you'll understand. The MacBiters will understand. It looked fantastic on the 12.9-inch iPad. Which meant, did I really want to be buying the 10-inch when it worked so well on the other one? Oh, decisions, decisions. Got to make a big decision on that this week. But then there was something completely new. HomePod. We were of one mind in the chat room, as we all cried out in unison, Fabric. Apple might live in a hermetically sealed bubble, but sadly the rest of us don't. White fabric. Hmm. I think that would look clean for at least five minutes, by my estimation. It also seems that majority of us don't actually use Apple Music, so interest started to wane at that point for me. Must admit, I'm a Spotify girl, so... No, I don't use Apple Music either. I was actually. That's a funny story I'll save for another day. But I was forced to use Apple Music. I needed to find, so I needed to actually locate a single track and purchase it on my iPhone. It took a while. I hadn't used it in years. So no, I much, much, much prefer Spotify. And but for the fact that this track wasn't on Spotify, I would have been on Spotify listening to it. But to be honest, he said interest started to wane. We had held up rather well, considering we weren't match fit 
and the event lasted over two hours. Three hours if you joined us for the chat before and after. Less the slight hiatus we had for the games demo, which gave us a short break. That was very true. Although, you know, the minute he says games demos, my brain's gone. You know, my, my brain is on the Apple site trying to buy an iPad. Mm, so what was missing then? Because we quite liked that, didn't we? So far, so good. But there was still nothing regarding the Mac Pro, or BIN 2.0 as we call it. Nothing on the Mac Mini, nothing on the networking equipment, which I thought was a given. I thought they'd have added the network functionality to the HomePod. But no, it just plays music, apparently. And is dressed in fabric. Don't like that at all. So did Apple do, do enough? We want to know what you think, especially McJim. Are you soothed and positive about the future or still simmering after a dodgy Apple year? Anyway, a huge thank you to all those who attended or actually all those who were able to join us in the chat room. Uh, as ever, you made it a complete joy. Sadly, we had folks missing and I blame Facebook. So never, never a bad time to blame Facebook, I find. But um, Andrew Black posted and said, I hate how this appeared in my feed after the event. I mean, fantastic. Facebook, what are you thinking? I don't like Facebook. I can't follow it at all. And yet, believe it or not, and, and the map biters will find this difficult, I'm actually there. Yes, I, I'm on Facebook. And I don't mean how I used to be on Facebook. How I used to be on Facebook was everything I put on Twitter just magically appeared on Facebook. So if you replied to me on Facebook, I was probably completely unaware of it. I have now unlinked the two and I am actually physically on Facebook. Still completely ignorant of how the thing works, but I'm there. Um, so, yeah, I don't like things that, you know, like you refresh the page and your, your feed changes. Why? And I see football updates from three days ago because they were popular three days ago. Can't understand the logic of it at all. Um, but anyway. I went back with great condolences for poor Andrew and he came back and said, does this mean we might get a podcast? Hashtag next week. Well, there's a surprise. Here with next week, Andrew. Can't say fairer than that. But sadly, Paul also had issues and the chat room just wouldn't let him in. Now, we're going to endeavour to ensure that that never happens again, Paul, because we missed you. Now, for those with short term memory issues, Paul was Paul who moved to Spain after sharing his interminable commute from London to Basingstoke with us, live, I might add, during a previous Apple event. We had a fabulous time following him. The rest of us were just incredibly grateful we weren't actually making the journey, which didn't it take over three hours? It did, yes. Yes, it, it was horrific. Well, once we fixed the chat room issues for him, I reckon he's got the perfect lifestyle. Spain and the Matt Bites chat, what's not to love? Well, we all said we'd missed him chatting too, so I, I informed the MacBiters, and uh, they've all sent messages of condolence to him for missing it. In fact, we all said we'd missed chatting to each other as well. Now, how did this happen? Twitter seems to have become a political minefield, uh, which most of us seem to be avoiding. I'm not there that often, to be honest, but I am back. I'm back. That, that was a problem. It was too depressing to read it all. But we took a pledge. The pledge. No, no, not the pledge. A pledge. A pledge to connect daily. And you know what? We've stuck to it. Which has made a week, even as bumpy as the last one, much more pleasurable. So long may it last. Come and join us on Twitter or Facebook, more the merrier. And our hashtag is pledge to connect daily. So see that you do. No excuses. 
Because, you know, if we're, if, if we're connecting daily, you never know when there might be another backbite. We might be tempted back into the studio sooner rather than later. Anyway, it was good to see something from Apple. We were getting desperate, weren't we? How desperate? <clears throat> we bought a car, sure. No, worse than that, we bought a PC. You're right. There's nothing worse than that. Actually, there is. We bought two. Do you see what I have to cope with? And an Android tablet for good measure. For crying out loud. In my defence, it was virtually free. The PC or the Android tablet? The Android tablet. How come? Well, it was on offer to start with. This was at Curry's PC World. I know the shame. But then it was reduced on special for a holiday weekend. So that took the price of it. It was £300. It took the price of it down to £89. Would have been rude not to, really. Then, as I set it up, Google announced that they'd given me 100 gig of storage for a year, value of which £20. Now, as I was on the verge of having to buy more Google Drive storage anyway, that was quite welcome. So, in total, it cost £69. And the PC? Ah, yes. The logic of that, I was trying to ease the load of what the ageing Mac has to cope with, by which I mean Fusion and all its virtual machines. Actually, it was so funny trying to find one. When you've not bought a PC in over 11 years, you're lost. I knew what we didn't want, and the rest was really just trying to get the spec for the least amount of money. And I must have sent you dozens and dozens of links. Each one was missing something that mattered to us. Until I sent you a link to one on special offer in John Lewis. Great spec, great price. And I uttered the infamous words, I think that's the one. (gasps) Yes, so off to John Lewis we're headed. John Lewis is like Grace Brothers when it comes to buying. There was a 20 minute wait because after you've actually bought it and paid for it, you have to wait and then go to the collection department in the basement to pick it up. How very quaint. It's a quintessentially English way of buying something, isn't it? In the 50s. Yes. Anyway, I decided to buy a PC because, well, a similar reason to you, I think. A lot of work that I do is on Windows Uh, mainly Excel. And although I can run it in a virtual machine, my Mac was creaking at the seams. So I decided that I really needed a a PC. But I didn't want an all singing or dancing PC. I just wanted one that was good enough. And that's what I came away with. Well, I wanted a Surface Studio, but I too came away with something I could afford. (laughs) However, I did make a quick purchase after the keynote. They didn't actually mention this, I don't think. And if they did, I'd missed it. So I was quite surprised afterwards. But uh, there was a new keyboard with a number pad, which took me back many years. I'm sure we talked about this, but do you remember when I, I bought an iMac? Well, you will. Well, you didn't know beforehand, but you did after. The one I took a picture of in the car and said, I've just bought this, dear. Remember mm, that? I do. Mm. Well, I was in the store and obviously when you buy from the store, you get what's in the box. And what was in the box was the wireless keyboard, the little one that didn't have the numeric thing on. And I wanted the one with the numeric thing on. So I said to them, can I just swap that? I'll pay the difference. And they were unable to do that. And I said, what do you mean you can't do that? That they're in a box over there. And I said, I'm quite happy to open this and give you this keyboard back. But logistically, they weren't allowed to do that. So what they ended up doing was he said, all we can do is sell it to you. And I thought, well, tell me something I don't know. Come in here, you can sell me anything. Um, But they sold it to me for a penny. 
basically. So I said, well, I'll, I'll you know, I'll, I'll buy it for a penny because it would have been more anyway. And I'll give you back the other keyboard. And he said, no, no, keep both. And I thought, I'm liking this idea. Now, the reason that I had that, the problem with that keyboard was it was perfect, but it wasn't wireless. And this keyboard is new numeric keypad and it's wireless. So um, the reason that it that matters to me, I've got so many shortcuts, I actually find it difficult to use the cut down keyboard for webinars. Now, as most of you know, I use a Matthias Pro, which it sounds like a demented woodpecker dancing in clogs, as you can attest to, can't you, dear? I can. So when I'm in a webinar situation, I, I can't use it at all. So I've had to use this cut down Apple thing and um, no, it, it doesn't work. So to, to see that this is Wi-Fi and it's quiet and oh, yes. So um, I ordered that on uh, Wednesday and they promised delivery on Friday. And guess what happened? They didn't stuff up, did they? Uh, not like Amazon do, no, when it goes missing for five days. No, they actually managed to get it there on Thursday. So couldn't say fairer than that. Rather nice. You know, you've not mentioned your other toy. Oh, the shame. Spill. <clears throat> After not wearing a watch for at least 15 years, I bought an Apple Watch. A sudden need to know the time, was it? Um, no, no, no. It was a serious attempt to get somewhat fitter than I was, which, to be honest, wouldn't have been difficult. Um, I bought a silver sports model with a white band. Got a couple of extra bands as well. Not from Apple, obviously. Um, the one that I got, actually, I, I figured that the white one would be filthy inside a week. So what I did was I bought a replica white one and I took the, the, the one from Apple off the minute it arrived and I replaced it with this replacement white one. And nine months on, it still looks absolutely pristine. A little bit shiny, but apart from that, not a mark on it. Uh, I think I paid £6 for it. Uh, so, yeah, I bought the watch and a couple of bands. Got a metal band as well, one of those Milanese loop things. Actually haven't worn that in anger, to be honest. So I've kept it on this white one. And um, actually, I've been a slave to it ever since. It really does keep you aware of how much sitting you do when you work in an office. However, I am currently on 269 days of perfect activity, though, so I can't say fairer than that, can I? No. So, what else have we been up to talking of the watch? It's got to be your moment of madness next. Brace yourselves, magbiters. You mean when I posted a photo of my naked leg on my blog? I didn't see that. Oh, it was all in a good cause. Did I not mention it? <clears throat> Never mind. I'll put a link in the show notes. <clears throat> well, as I've said, I bought an Apple Watch. Fitness was the thing that drove me to it. And uh, when it arrived, I took a few days to get used to it and experiment with the health tracking. Um, I'd taken up, wait for it, biking on a static bike late in August. Well, when I say biking, I sort of staggered to about 1k in a day and then took the rest of the day to recover, to be honest. But by October, I was up to 10k every day which was when I decided a challenge was in order. So once Christmas was done, I organised a 2000k biking challenge, whereby I biked 40k every day for 50 days. It was all in a good cause, though. It's the cliched cause. Our church roof. Mm. Our church roof is in desperate need of repair. And the quotes are literally eye-watering. Uh, the current quote is topping £160,000. But we need to get it done before we lose a member of the choir to low-flying mouldy masonry. So I spent most of January, February and March completing my challenge in aid of the church roof fund, eating not much more than foliage, to be honest, in my attempt to remain bike fit. 
Now, some of you lovely MacBiters sponsored me. So huge, huge public thanks to you for your support. In fact, do you know, it's not too late if you want to help out. I shall put a link in the show notes. So far, I've managed to raise £1,700. And I think it would be fair to say I am considerably fitter than I was last autumn. Now, I blogged the entire journey too, including what I think is one of the few photos of me that does exist online. And I took that the day I finished. Oh, that's even more embarrassing, isn't it? I took a selfie. Oh, she's actually said it. Anyway, talking of which, in that photo, said selfie, I have the biggest smile, which means, bonus, you get to see the teeth. Oh, talking of the teeth. The teeth are, wait for it, finished. We're starting some optional work late in June. Optional dental work? She needs locking up. So now you've completed your biking challenge, are you going to share what comes next? Well, there was the slight matter during the biking challenge of being further challenged to climb Snowden. I'll just let that sink in for a moment. Something I'm told is a bit of a hike. However, Graham informed me when I mentioned it that there's a train that takes you right to the peak. So, all good there then. I'm going to surprise you here and ask you to share something you achieved today with the map writers. <laughs> well, once the roof fund challenge was complete, I carried on biking 40k a day each and every day. And today, I reached the dizzying milestone of cycling 10,000k since late August last year. Which is absolutely fantastic. Thank you very much. You're welcome. Any other news? Oh, yes, and it wasn't good. It all started when I headed off out of the office and made for the kitchen. I keep saying no good comes of excessive domesticity. And it didn't. I left my main iMac doing a few jobs as usual. The, the poor thing never gets to rest, but it's when I'm not sat there, it's doing backups, it's encoding video, and that's what it was doing as I headed off for dinner. When I returned, I found it had departed this mortal coil. Now, since this was before Apple announced the new iMacs, it was a crisis. By that stage, I'd actually given up hoping for a new iMac, so I knew I had to set about resurrecting this one. Didn't take me long to work out. The hard drive was the problem. It had been, in its former life, a one terabyte fusion drive. And I don't know if this is a fusion drive issue, but it gave me no symptoms prior to just dying. It's definitely dead now, though. Needless to say, it was out of Apple care. And the quote for Apple to fit a new hard drive was eye-watering. No wonder they hermetically seal all their kit, you know. It provides an additional lucrative revenue stream once you're out of AppleCare and it needs replacing. To the extent it's almost more cost-effective to buy a new Mac, which would be fine, only I refused point-blank at that stage to buy anything that Apple were offering. So I sat glowering at it, contemplating how usually it's the screen that dies first. And the screen was absolutely fine. Which was when I decided a touch of MacGyvering was called for. Which was when I went and got my tin hat. Well, after some judicious jiggery-pokery getting it attached, I'm happy to report that my iMac was soon sporting a shiny new 1TB SSD and purring like a kitten. Then, of course, there was the opportunity to do a clean install of macOS Sierra. Now, I'd actually only done the Sierra thing in the Christmas holiday. In fact, I'd hung out that long in the update stakes. I'd completely missed El Capitan, as I mentioned. 
But I hadn't done, and I had to work this out, I hadn't done a clean install on this Mac since it arrived with Mountain Lion in January 2013. Luckily, I have other Macs to download the installer from the App Store. I made an installation boot disk on a USB 3 pen drive per my own instructions. So I've proved that my instructions worked. Put a link into that. And um, it was plain sailing. Mm, I'm waiting for a but. So was I. But. Didn't want to disappoint then. But. When I got to the dialog where you specify the short account name. Now that's the one that's used for the home folder name. I put in what I wanted, which is Elaine G, capital E, capital G. And it automatically converted it to lowercase. Now, I knew that it must allow mixed case names because all my other Sierra machines have got a mixed case short user name and home folder. Now, apparently it's okay if you install a new OS over your existing OS. It is not okay if you do a clean install. No biggie though. Yeah, right. You're forgetting just how anal she can be. They're not wrong, you know. I just couldn't live with it. I seem to recall many years ago on OS X 10.4 Tiger that changing the name of the account and or the home folder caused untold misery. So I didn't actually hold out much hope. I thought I would just have to live with it. But after some experimenting and a little Googling, I had a plan. There's actually nothing that you can do about this during the installation process. You cannot persuade it to accept anything other than lowercase. You can enter it, but it will convert it to lowercase. So you need to accept that forced lowercase during the installation. But once it's installed, you can set about fixing it. Um, it wasn't too arduous. It's just fiddly and time consuming. You need to create the initial account and log into it. Well, that will be an admin account. You then need to create a second account with admin privileges. So system preferences, users and groups, add a new admin user. You then need to reboot and log in to that second admin account. And then in the finder, you go and locate the user home folder for the first user that you created that is being forced into lowercase. And you rename that to whatever case you want. Then you go back into the system preferences, users and groups. You right click the name of the account to be changed. You choose advanced options from the menu and you've got to change both the account name field to match the name you gave the home folder. And then there's another field where you put in a home directory and you need to match that with the home folder name as well. Once you've done that, you can reboot and log in with the initial account that you created. Check everything works and then delete the second account. And then you are done. And that's exactly what I did and it works. Having sat and pondered this and thinking about, you know, if I ever need to do this again, an alternative which would be slightly shorter would be to make the initial account with another name. So when you're doing that initial installation, instead of making it the account that you actually want, just call it admin and admin or something. Then log into it, create the second account, boot to the new account and delete the initial account. So it's just fractionally shorter. But, you know, that's one of those changes that drive me mad with Apple. I wasn't with that one incandescent with rage, in the words of McJim, but I wasn't far short because I can fix it. So why force me to waste my time for no good reason? Can you imagine how I felt? Because. No, no, no. Because it, because is the excuse we use when it's a good because, <laughs> not because Apple had just been awkward. Oh, OK. I, I just don't understand that. 
it seems, I mean, I could fix it, but I wouldn't recommend that an average user try fixing it. Can you imagine the mess? Mm. They would think that they could just go in and rename that folder. Then everything breaks. Well, that's what used to happen in Tiger, which was why I didn't do it. I remember when I inadvertently named it wrong on an installation that I thought it's actually quicker to just reinstall it. And that's what I did. I, I can't understand things like that. Things like that are what drive me mad. So that, that was a slight annoyance. I, I guess in, in, if we looked at it in the perspective of your iMac has just died, it was a minor annoyance. But that's not the point. Coming on top of a major annoyance, it in itself became a major annoyance. That's, that's the best way to explain it, I think. Slash rant. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. Sorry. I'll move on then. Um, are you holding out for an iMac Pro? I decided to take my time and consider all the options. This is unusual, isn't it? Uh, before I bought any kind of iMac. Um, this being despite the ones, the new ones are being announced at WWDC. I, I checked the specometer, uh, obviously, instantly, and came up with an eye-watering price for a high-end model. But since we were thinking of visiting a store next week anyway to check out the new iPads, need to do a size comparison i thought i'd make the decision then in store mm, best laid plans though oh yes that was the plan and it stayed the plan until thursday night why thursday night i hear you ask well there we were completely exhausted after saturational level election coverage seemingly for the last three years to be honest and that's not a joke is it 2015 general election india ref won Brexit, US election, and now 2017 general election. Anyway, it was 10 o'clock. They announced the result of the exit poll, a hung parliament. At which point, and I am not joking, you go back and check the pictures, at which point the pound dropped like a stone. We just looked at each other, both turned to the iMac ordering page, and before Apple got the bright idea of hiking the prices, like after Brexit, um... We, seconds later, we were in possession of two order confirmations for a fully specced i727-inch iMac and was £6,000 lighter in the pocket. Mm, and no price increase yet either. Oh, come on, it's only a matter of time. The political system is going into complete meltdown. Let's just hope it doesn't happen before we do collect our new iPads. Do you know, it's a good job we didn't do the purchase thing to celebrate the end of every election in the last few years. Or we'd need another extension to house all the kit. And a mortgage to pay for it. Mm, exactly. Anyway, moving on. We have a completely new section for the show. Reality Bites. As it often does with anything tech related. And our first topic is something that we're all going to have to at least consider within the next few days. So, have you done the two-factor thingy yet? Are you kidding me? I made the mistake of changing my Apple ID password a few weeks back. And across all my devices my computers and all the apps that I have installed that access my iCloud stuff, I had to confirm that password change over 200 times. You're joking. Oh, I'm not. To say it is now scorched on my brain is an understatement. Every device needed it um, twice. One seemed to be for iTunes and one seemed to be because you were logged in with your Apple ID. Every app, like the calendar and the mail apps that I wanted to use, so more than the built-in ones, not the built-in ones, um, they needed it. Uh, as I said, the iTunes store needed it. The app store needed it. You name it. And it demanded the new password entry. I've said this before and doubtless I'll say it again. But right now, never again. So two factor. I know. Doubtless it's going to be even more arduous to get access to my own data. The situation is Apple 
offer uh, three different, what would you say, security levels? Yeah. Mm. First of all, you can have an account, which is what most people have now, I would suspect, which is two-factor free. Apple let you run your Apple ID without any form of two-factor authentication. Basically, you only need your username and your password to access your account. The second option is to have two-factor verification turned on, which is a less advanced form of the two-factor system. And the third option that they are, I would say, gently enticing us to, but it's more a case of pushing off a cliff, I feel, is full two-factor authentication. And they are really pushing you, aren't they? I said to you, be careful when you install 10.2 point something, um, because there's this screen. And you look at it and it looks like they enter your password and tap here to continue to log in. But when you actually look at what it says, it's saying it will turn on two-factor authentication. So I'm like, no, 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 not now. No, definitely not. Go away. All of that. Um, so I think it's going to be virtually compulsory shortly. I know for certain devices, if it's got a certain um, OS on it, so a point number, a point, point, point revision, it is the default. Um, so you're done. But if you've got the two-factor free version, which is what I've got now, you will have a username, you will have a password, and you will have security questions. The grouping of those three together is all you need to manage that account. The two-factor verification is a little bit more advanced, and that one came out first, I think, but I certainly didn't enable it, did you? No. No, apparently it's an older security system. You've got to verify your identity with a four-digit code and it gets sent to one of your devices. And that's before you can make changes to your Apple ID account information. You can't sign into iCloud or you can't make an iTunes App Store or iBook Store purchase from a new device without doing that. And I read up on that and I had a few questions about it. I couldn't seem to find the answers to it, so I left it alone. The third version, which is the one that we're talking about now, is full two-factor authentication. Again, you will have your username and your password. I do hope it doesn't make me change it again. And you'll have your security questions. But they're saying it's an improved security measure and that it's designed to make sure that you are the only person that can access your account, even if somebody else has access to your password. So what will happen is you will enter your Apple ID and password for the first time on a new device and you're prompted to verify your identity with a six digit verification code. And where you get that from, it will be displayed automatically on your other devices or on a phone number that you trust. This was when I started having questions, but we'll come to that. Once you've got that code, you enter the code to sign in and you can then access your account on the new device. But I was thinking, what if you only had one device and it was a phone and you were setting it up? How could you receive the code on the device you were setting up? Now, obviously, I've got more than one device, so it, it was just a question. But I do think it's valid because we know many people who have an iPhone, but that's it. Yeah, I know many people like that too. Exactly. Well, this two-factor authentication is built directly into iOS, macOS, tvOS, watchOS and Apple's website. In order to do the upgrade to it, I don't like using the word upgrade to this. I know it's more secure. I know it is. I'm just petrified I won't be able to get in, which wouldn't surprise me. Do you know these things used to just work, didn't they? And now I'm absolutely terrified that they won't or that it'll work too well and I won't get in. 
either way, however you want to describe it. But in order to do this, you're going to have to have at least one device that's using iOS 9 or a minimum of El Capitan or later. Um, but as I said, it is the default for new Apple IDs that you create on 10.3 or macOS 10.12.4. Now, why this has come up now, because if I could blissfully ignore this for as long as possible, I would be doing. But Apple have sent me a little billy do, and it says that two-factor authentication is required in order to use certain features that require improved security. That's Apple speak for we're making you do this. Learn to like it. Now, it's referring to the need to use app-specific passwords for third-party applications from the 15th of June. So I've got four days to do this as of today. But if you're listening on the day of release, you'll have three. Um, the app-specific passwords can only be created for an Apple ID that has two-factor authentication enabled. Now, for me, I'm going to need that app-specific password for my mail client and my copious calendar apps. Mm, sounds harmless enough. Well, given the farce of just changing the password, I decided not to risk it. But now I've got no choice if I want to carry on accessing my Apple-hosted data via third-party apps. And like I say, I already had questions, couldn't find answers to that lot. And then I had more questions, which is what if the device that I nominate to receive the code dies or is lost or stolen? Can I change the device that receives the code? How do I do that? So off I went to research it. Do you know the first thing I found was an absolute classic? It was a post, it was a very sarcastic post explaining the forced nature of this change. And there was a huge photo of the Pope. Yes, I know. <laughs> but hang on. It was a huge photo of the Pope on a tech site making a V sign. And it, it's hysterical. I'll put a link in the show notes. Now, I don't think it was actually related to the Pope's Apple ID. But then again, you never know these days. Uh, the short version is that the article was suggesting that making two-factor compulsory means that users have to hand over a mobile phone number to, in this case, Apple, but to anybody, to any service that, that demands two-factor authentication. Um, and that then that could be used for other purposes, such as marketing. Well, trust me, Apple, do not go there. Uh, but I thought that was a very good point because I wondered what the TNCs had to say about them actually using those contact details. But then I did find the answers to the questions that I had. So how two-factor works, with, the, with it turned on, your account can only be accessed on devices that you have already trusted. So an iPhone, iPad, Mac. When you want to sign into a new device, you'll need to provide two pieces of information. You'll need your password and you'll need this six digit verification code that's automatically displayed on the trusted device. And then by entering that code, you've verified you trust the new device. Now, I'm assured by Apple, and I'm sure you had this question too, that once you've signed in, it won't ask you again unless you sign out completely, you erase the device, or you change your password. Can you see that working? No, it'll last several times a day, probably. That's exactly what I thought. They go on to say that you can sign in on the web in your browser, and you can choose to trust that browser, in which case it won't ask you again. Again, not, not that I don't believe them, but I don't believe them. Another one of my questions was, 
what if I lost my device? Well, you can have more than one trusted device. It's going to need to be an iPhone, an iPad, an iPod Touch, and it needs to have iOS 9 or later. Or it could be a Mac with El Capitan or later. So those can be trusted devices that Apple will send your six digit code to. You're also going to need a trusted phone number. And that's a number that can be used to receive verification codes by text or a phone call. This was the gotcha as far as I was concerned. You must verify at least one trusted phone number to enroll in two-factor authentication at all. And I'm thinking about, you know, younger kids that only have an iPod Touch. This will make managing that for the parents, guardians, a lot more difficult. No, I hadn't thought of that, but you're right. Um, well, it did say you you should consider verifying other phone numbers that you can access, such as a home phone number or a number used by a family member, which made me think, could I give them my phone number and your phone number? And if I did, can you give them your phone number and my phone number? Or can a phone number only be allocated to one account? I'm full of questions, aren't I? Couldn't find an answer either. But yes, you, you could have your code sent to somebody else, basically. Wouldn't that mean that other people have access to your account? Well, that's what I thought. Really, in a way, Apple are handing over part of what they're claiming now is needed for the security of your account, potentially to a third party. I know you've said they can do that, but you might be desperate to make sure that you can get into your own account. I guess they would have the verification code, but they wouldn't have the password. But it is slight, it's less secure, however you look at it, because they've got, they probably know your email address and now they've got a verification code. And if to get in, they only need two things, then there's two things. Unless they actually do need the password and you're the only person that knows the password. Is it just me or is this complicated? It is. Anyway, as I say, I've not done it yet, but the reason that I'm doing it is these app-specific passwords. And what I did want to know is how I manage these app-specific passwords. So once I've done my two-factor, I need to log into appleid.apple.com and within there, I should find a generate password section in the security section. You then give the app-specific password a name of your choosing. So for me, I've got uh, Fantastical, BusyCal, BusyContact. I'm going to be there all day. Um, each one's going to need its own app-specific password. I then take that password, go back to the app that's demanding it, uh, so if you take BusyCal or Fantastical, for example, it will be in the Accounts tab. Find the account and then paste the app-specific password into it at the prompt. I'm intending, notice the intention there, to enable the two-factor thing this week, just so I can carry on using the calendar and mail apps of my choice. If you never hear from me again, you'll know it didn't go well. So what's the process for recovering access if it doesn't go well? I'm glad you asked. Apple have a whole page on this with some sage advice. Brace yourselves for the punchline. Once you've turned it on, if you forget your password, you can go to iforgot.apple.com and they will either give you your password or ask you to create a new one. If you lose your trusted device or your phone number, you'll need to use a recovery key and password. So what if you lose your recovery key? Mm. It's quite a rabbit hole, this, isn't it? Um, if you lose your recovery key, you can use a password and a trusted device. But the punchline is, and I quote, this is from Apple. If you've permanently lost any two of these items, you can't sign in or regain access to your account. You'll need to create a new Apple ID. 
let's just let that sink in. You'll need to create a new Apple ID. Hmm. Back in the day when an Apple ID just meant maybe your .Mac email address. Possibly. And what about the probably, ooh, two, three thousand pounds worth of software that's on my Apple ID? That's what freaks me out at the thought of changing anything. It's working. Can I please leave it alone? But apparently not. So that scared the pants off me. What do you think? I'll leave you to talk me through it next week. Oh, thank you. <laughs> That's very kind of you. I'm looking forward to that. Not. Uh, should make for a good show, though, if I can't get in. It should run and run. Anyway, talking of forgetting things, let the following tale be a salutary reminder of the importance of securing your Apple ID and the practical difficulties of doing so. Where you go, dear. OK, where do I start? I have two Apple IDs. Don't ask. Haven't we all? Yeah. Um, one's used for buying apps and the other has my calendars attached. Of course, the obvious thing to do is to merge them together, but let's not go there either. Um, been trying to do that for 10 years. Haven't we all? Yes. When you create an Apple account, you have to select three security questions and provide answers. You know the kind of thing, I mean, mother's maiden name, first school, etc. And to make it more secure, I used a random string of letters and numbers as the answers. So apparently my first school, don't tell anyone, was ZAQ789NBM. No one's listening. Good. You carry on. Good. Now, that was a great idea at the time. In fact, I'll credit you with the idea or, Thank I'll, you. or I'll blame you. <laughs> What? Yes. But can you imagine ringing Apple and when they ask for your security question answer, just giving them a load of letters and numbers? Just tell them you're being very secure. Yeah. Won't work. Well, it will, but you've got to sit there and read them out. Anyway, I decided to change the answers to something more realistic. And again, your idea, not a random string. But to change them, you've got to go to appleid.apple.com. And when you do you're prompted to provide answers to two of your security questions. Now, when I created the security questions, rather stupidly, I didn't make a note of them and the answers. And if I did, I didn't know where I put them. How could you have used random strings? Because if they were random strings, you would surely have made a note of them. If you'd answered the questions truthfully, you'd have thought, oh, I don't need to make a note of that cocky bloke thing. I'll remember them. Yeah, well, let's gloss over that because I don't what know. What you mean is you had absolutely no clue what the answers to these questions were. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Anyway, so I clicked the link that said forgotten your answers reset security questions and it asked me to answer one of my questions. <laughs> isn't that a this bit of a... This is why two factors not a good idea. Isn't that a bit of a vicious circle? So at this point, you decided that the only thing that I could do was to get onto Apple support to get the issue resolved. Yeah, claim insanity or something, I figured. But you didn't fancy it, did you? No. Anyway, you go to getsupport.apple.com and you select Apple ID forgot security questions. I entered my details into a form, my name, my email address, te telephone number. Actually, it was really straightforward. Two minutes later, I got a call from an Apple support guy. I confirm my identity by confirming to the support agent a four-digit PIN that was displayed to me when I went to that Get Support page. The support agent confirmed that I had an iPhone, and once I confirmed, he sent a code to it, which I read back to him. He then 
flicked a switch, reset my account, and then I was able to close the call and reset my questions. And of course, put the information into 1Password. I cannot believe you didn't do that the first time. No, nor can I. While you were on to him, seeing as though he was so helpful, you didn't ask about merging two Apple IDs, did you? Uh, No, I'll leave that one for Tim. Mm, It won't happen. It will never happen, trust me. So, uh, more on our adventures with Apple IDs next time. I'm sure it will be... um... Do you know what happens if it goes swimmingly? Um, What will we do? Nothing to report. (laughs) Nothing to moan about? No. No, no, no. It won't go swimmingly because I'll have to enter it on about 50 devices and I'll be here till Christmas. So, no, it won't go swimmingly. I know it won't. But anyway, if I'm expecting trouble, it might go well. You never know. You never know. Anyway, it's that time. Are you ready? We're a bit out of practice. After three. I know we are. I know. One. (laughs) Don't mention that. That Two. One. Two. Two. We're not even in sync with the one, two, three here. After three. One. One, Two. Two. Three. iPhone, iPhone, iPhone. iPhone. That that wasn't bad. We didn't start bad. (laughs) Well, it was a while back. But it's worth going over. It was funny. In hindsight, it was funny. It was not funny at the time. But what has fast become the usual farce of pre-orders? I was ready. I was ready to outwit Apple. I had four iPads, two iPhones and two Macs, all poised on the pre-order page. Some were on my local network, some were going through a VPN, and the rest were on 4G. Belt and braces. Eight o'clock arrived... Sadly, I witnessed the next bit. Despite me having been up since 6am delivering a training course to some folks in Australia. As I said, 8am arrived. Nothing. None of my devices did a thing. No amount of refreshing, waiting or poking with a stick did a thing. After much expressive language and constant refreshing, for over 20 minutes I managed to get to an order page. Needless to say, by then, shiny black version... On four to five week back order. Not pleased. Against my better judgment, because I I was thinking of other things then, I duly placed an order for our two 256 gig shiny black iPhone 7 Pluses. In better news, my Apple Watch was ordered without incident, delivery promised for release day. Now, if you're going to play the Apple version of Vatican Roulette, at least make it a level playing field. Uh, Don't you mean Russian Roulette? Oh, Russian Roulette, Vatican Roulette, never mind, close enough. Some folks had no trouble at all, while many others, like me, just could not see the order page. Anyway, it all turned out for the best, didn't it? No thanks to Apple, it actually did. I had intended to return to bed after placing the order, hopefully by five past eight in the morning. Now that might sound decadent, but in my defence I'd been working until after 2am. The trouble was, by the time I'd secured our two iPhones, I was so incensed... You could say I was incandescent with rage, McJim. By the time I'd secured them, there was no way I could have slept. So I stayed up, glowering at my iMac and sticking pins in an effigy of Tim Cook. And? And that was when an email arrived from the Lowry Theatre. I was just about to bin it in a fury, muttering about garbage in my inbox, when I spotted a name in the subject line. Eric Cantona, my hero. Opened the mail in an instant. He was coming to the Lowry, early 2017, and they had a handful, and I do mean just a handful, of executive tickets available. Now, you were still training at this point, the people from Oz, but the sight of me jumping up and down whilst waving a credit card at the booking page was enough to induce you to take a sly break. In seconds, we had secured executive tickets for both nights of his visit 
including a meet and greet session with the great man himself. At which point you were rather glad not to have been snoozing peacefully when the mail arrived. Absolutely, but I'm not giving Apple any credit for that, obviously. And then, after spending just over £3,500 before 9.30am, I deemed it wise to put the credit card back in the freezer and head off for a lie down. Anyway, back to my new iPhone. I had the iPhone 4S as a hand-me-down, having previously had the 4. But I was finding it increasingly slow. Um, It used to take about 30 seconds just to open Spotify. It was also quite small, causing me problems with my aged and failing eyesight. And the battery life lasted less than a day. And actually, it would suddenly go from 20% to dead for no reason. When you finish complaining about that 4S, you do realise it was the first iPhone that had Siri on it. Carry on like that and you'll upset him. I'm very sensitive, you know. You can say that again. When you've all finished. So I got the 7 Plus in October. I'm, I'm actually very happy with it. I was initially concerned about the size, with, with it being, you know, thinking it'd be too big. But I tried your 6 Plus and it fitted in my pocket, in my trousers and my jacket. There's a joke in there somewhere. Uh, yeah, leave it alone. Spoil sport. Apart from the speed and the larger text, I've actually been able to use Touch ID for the first time. Although I have got the iPad Air 2, but I hadn't set it up. And I must admit, like many things, um, including Siri, dare I say it? (laughs) Like many things, I actually didn't see the point initially. Um, Just a minute, I'm covering his ears. Right, carry on. Yeah. I thought it was a bit of a gimmick. I, you know, I, I used to think Siri was a bit of a gimmick. I used to think Touch ID was a bit of a gimmick. But I'm actually finding it very useful now. Now that I've actually got it, it saves typing a password into one password in the App Store. It saves typing a password into the bank and the PayPal app. My only problem was when I cut my finger, the phone wouldn't, wouldn't recognise my fingerprint. You mean you didn't map a nipple to one of your five fingerprints? And if you have no idea what we're talking about, you need to listen to shows 76 and 77, where we discussed folks who had done exactly that, with alarmingly accurate unlocking, I seem to recall. Yeah, I also find Siri is very handy um, if I want to send you a text when I'm stuck in traffic. All I have to do is say, hey. Don't say it now. I'm not going to say it now. There'll be a chorus of them. Yes. (laughs) Plus the fact, if you say it now, you'll set everybody else's off who's listening. Exactly. That's happened before, hasn't it? I know. That's why we're not doing it again. No. no we should no. just say, hey, you. Yeah. yeah what I, I really want, and um, if anybody knows how this can be done, please let me know, is if I could get Siri to play a specific playlist from Spotify. I know it can be done with, um, well, I'm sure it can be done with Apple Music because obviously those those integrate, but I much prefer Spotify and I've got playlists I can do it by by saying play next and it will play the next track, but not just playing a playlist. Have you managed to do that? My phone's probably never out of my hand, being honest. Oh, no. Yeah, so you you can just manually play the playlist, can't you? But when I'm driving, it's when I'm driving. Um, so if anybody is, has successfully done that without a jailbreak, because I have found jailbreaking ways of doing it, then... It'd be great to hear from you. I'm also amazed at the quality of the camera, both video and still. And I'm also amazed at the quality of the the audio recording compared to the 4S. I use 
iTalk and using iTalk, I recorded audio for a video that I was recording for work after I had a microphone failure. Um, I use the iPhone for audio recording all the time, literally two, three times a day, um, which reminds me, I have a new recording app to discuss. I, I've stopped using iTalk. Uh, content for the next show. I notice you didn't say next week. It's only a matter of time before I make that little slip. One thing I can't find is is a decent cost-effective case with a cover. There's you know the, there's a lot of cases for the the six plus, which is the same size, but the the problem is the camera is in a different position, and that's that's what I can't find. I had I've got one that I'm I'm thinking is the one that you're thinking about. It's like a black fold-over case. That's the one I'm so thinking. It, it about. makes it look like a little book, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, I couldn't find one when the phones were first released, and I made a decision, given Scratchgate, Crisis Gate, um, that it needed a case. I wasn't going to try with this one to get away without a case. So, because I had such a long time to wait, I had lots of time to look for a case. I didn't like a lot of the cases, and I decided to just go for something really cheap. And I think the case I got was about £3. And I thought, it will do until I find one like the one I had. And I've stuck with it. And I have had my iPhone out of the case. And I thought, it, you know, when it's like, it looks like a bumper, but with a back on. And it's black. So the back of it is clear plastic, so you can see the Apple logo. Um, and the bit that goes around the edges is black. It actually doesn't look like it's got a case on it. It is very good from that perspective. But I expected like the old iPod Touch. No, not, not the Touch. Um, the iPod Classic. You remember the one with the silver back? Yeah. Look at it and it was scratched. I thought the back would look like that. And when I took it off, there wasn't a mark on it. And I, I couldn't believe it given the fact it was like three pounds. Uh, but I, I agree with you. I like a, a leather-ish looking thing. It wasn't leather. But it had like um, a suede material on the inside. So that, that went against the glass. And I haven't been able to find one, uh, like you're saying, that's not in the 30, 40 pounds mark. And I think that's ludicrous for a case. So I've just stuck with that one. I actually find the front of it, I wanted to protect the front of it, um, with it being much bigger when I got the six. I've actually found, and I do put it in a, in a handbag, put it in a pocket, found that the front seems to be okay. And I, I don't um, use one of those things you, you slap on it. What do you call them? Screen protectors. Screen protectors. I don't have one of those on it either. I'd spend all my time picking the glue off. Um, and it seems all right. I'm not tempting fate and I'm holding on to a wooden desk here, but it seems okay so far. But yeah, we need to keep our eye out for stuff like that, don't we? Yeah. We need a Bat Bites Christmas gift guide. That's what we need. Mm. Good idea. Sticking with the uh, iPhone theme, uh, I want to talk about Do Not Disturb. A while ago, I made a decision to enable Do Not Disturb mode on my iPhone as a default. And what I mean by as a default is that I don't turn it on only at bedtime or only when I'm delivering training. Instead, I have it turned on most of the time. Now, for anyone who hasn't used it, when Do Not Disturb is enabled, it means that when someone calls you or messages you, the phone won't ring or vibrate. Or in the case of a text message, it won't ping. For a phone call, you'll get an on-screen notification of a missed call. Now, if you're wondering why I've done this, it's because I've been receiving too many unwanted calls, mainly from companies trying to sell me insurance and offer me compensation for a, a not-my-fault minor car accident in 2011. 
Now, I know I can block the numbers, but it's too late after the event. The problem with this scenario, of course, is that there are people that I want to talk to when Do Not Disturb is enabled. So to get round the problem, what I did is I initially enabled the option Allow Calls from Favourites. And you can find that in the Do Not Disturb settings on your phone. Favourites, by the way, allows you to see on a single screen the people who you call on a regular basis. It means that you don't have to search your contacts list when you want to call them. You go into the Contacts app on your phone, select a contact, scroll down and you'll find an Add to Favourites option. So just tap that and you've added that contact to your Favourites list. Now, back in the Phone app, at the bottom of the screen is a Favourites icon. And if you tap it, it'll display a list of all the contacts you have marked as a favourite. And so at this point, to call someone, it's just a case of tapping the name of that contact. Anyway, I then decided that the people I wanted to accept calls from weren't necessarily the people I wanted in my favourites list. So instead, I decided I'd create a contacts group called DND Exceptions. DND being do not disturb. And then add into that group the people that I did want to accept calls from. Now, if someone calls and they're a member of that DND exceptions group, the phone will ring or vibrate when I'm on um, do not disturb. It's worth noting here, actually, that you can't create and manage groups and group membership via the Contacts app on your phone. You either have to do it through the Contacts app on the Mac, assuming you've got a Mac, because we know plenty of people who have only got an iPhone and don't have a Mac. And just if you, if you have got a Mac, then ensure that it and the Contacts app on the phone are syncing to the same iCloud account. Or you can do it by logging into iCloud.com in a browser. Now, if you use iCloud.com on a computer, Mac or PC, that's okay. That will work perfectly fine. But what if you only have an iPhone to hand? Or what if you're one of those people who only has an iPhone, doesn't have a computer? If you open Safari or Chrome on the phone and navigate to iCloud.com, it'll display a screen with three options. Set up iCloud on this device, open my iPhone and open Find My Friends. There's no option there to actually log in to iCloud. If you want to log into iCloud, you need to request the desktop site. In other words, it's you know you're using the browser within your iPhone, but you need to go out of the mobile site into the normal desktop site. Just happen to be viewing it on a on a phone. In Chrome tap the three dots icon at the top right to display a menu. And at the bottom of that menu is an option that says request desktop site. Tap on the option and it'll display the standard iCloud.com site. In Safari, tap the share icon at the bottom of the screen, swipe to the left until you find the request desktop site button. Very, very hidden, not logical at all. Anyway, at this point, I thought it was all sorted until I received a phone call from you who is in my, you're in my DND exceptions group asking why I was ignoring your texts. Proper indignant I was. 
Yes, tell me about it. Anyway, when I looked at the Messages app, there was indeed a text message from you. However, the iPhone had not notified me when it arrived. Because my phone was on Do Not Disturb mode, I wasn't being informed about incoming text messages. It turns out that that Allow Calls From, so where I set Allow Calls From DND exceptions, relates to phone calls only. It doesn't extend to text messages. Now, there is a way to resolve this using a feature in iOS 10 called Emergency Bypass. And what that lets you do is pick which notifications, calls or texts, get through to you from a specific contact whilst Do Not Disturb mode is active. So if you open the Contacts app on your phone, tap on the name of the contact whose text messages you do want to receive when you're in DND mode, tap Edit at the top right of the screen, tap Text Tone, swipe the Emergency Bypass switch at the top of the screen to On. Just be aware, though, that enabling Emergency Bypass mode bypasses Silent mode. So if someone sends you a text, your phone will ping. So if you're going into a meeting or you're going somewhere else where you don't want people to hear your phone, remember you'll need to turn the volume of your phone right down. Is it just me, but this seems to get more complicated to manage a simple device like a phone by the second? I'm actually thinking two of the things we've covered in this episode are making things incredibly complicated. The Do Not Disturb, which I you know, spent about five minutes just talking through, and the, the um, two-factor authentication, which you spent five, ten minutes talking through. Mm. I just find two-factor terrifying. But, you know, that one, to me, Do Not Disturb, if you make an exception to it, it should automatically apply to text. It would never have entered my head it didn't. No. But then what do I know? <laughs> I wouldn't have designed it like that. But anyway... Uh, so, on to bite back. Uh, we received a challenge, a challenge from Alistair, involving an automated processing of data, iOS, Mac and more. We're working on it. We'll be back. Watch this space. We also heard from Colin Payne last time, and I still haven't found time to test the ScanSnap with the alternative software to prolong its life. It's on my to-do list. So, again, watch this space. Oh, before or after painting the extension? Tech or DIY? Hmm. What do you think? And a short while <clears throat> after our first missive from McJim, we had another. Let's just say he was um, inquiring after our well-being by suggesting we were slacking in our MacBytes duties. He wasn't wrong then, was he? Moving swiftly along. To another one who thought we'd been somewhat delinquent in the podcasting stakes. Oh, Mummy Isaac's little lad, Jonathan. He thought, wait for it, we might have hung up our microphones. As if we'd leave, you lovely MacBiters. And as we always say, the next MacBites will be out when you least expect it. So that'll be next week then. Siri! But we've surpassed ourselves this week anyway. Not only do we have a new show, not only have we had a MacBites Live, we now have news of the highly anticipated and requested MacBytes Learning Live session covering Affinity Photo for iPad. 
which was a simply stunning app that was announced at WWDC. We'll be demoing the app and taking your questions on Thursday, 29th of June at 8pm UK time, which is noon PST and 3pm Eastern time. We'll also include all of those details in the mail announcing this show and send you a reminder on the day. Don't miss it. Even I bought a copy. I'm determined to muster more than a few squiggles this time. Yes, you're a bit challenged in, in the design department, aren't you? Yes. Soon not to be, though. Soon not to be. It is very, very, very good. That take me back to which iPad do I buy? No, I must leave that alone and I must wrap up the show. Well, that's it for this episode of MacBytes. And as always, we would love to hear from you. Please send your questions, comments and queries by email to MacBytesUK at gmail.com. Or you can use the form on the website and send us an audio file. We love to have audio files. We do. You can leave a comment on the show notes as well. They're also at macbytes.co.uk. You can follow MacBytes on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacBytes. And you can follow me personally on Twitter at twitter.com slash Elaine Giles. I'm also on Facebook. Did I mention I know I know how to get into Facebook now? You, you can did. find me in Facebook as Elaine Giles. You can follow me at twitter.com slash Thomas Mike. And you can follow me at twitter.com slash MacBytesiri. So until next time, this has been Elena Mike bringing you Mac Bites. Goodbye. Goodbye and see you next time. What are you watching? Is it another episode of David Attenborough's Planet Earth? Um, yes, something like that. I love to watch how animals meet the challenges of surviving in the most dangerous habitats on Earth. Like Mac Bites headquarters, you mean? Well, to be honest, I was thinking of somewhere more challenging than that myself. There's somewhere more challenging than living here? Who knew? Just a minute. This isn't David Attenborough. No, it's not. It is a challenging environment, though. If it's where I think it is, you're right. It's a very challenging environment. It's the new extension to MacBytes headquarters. It is. And is that who I think it is? Oh, yes. Indeed it is. It's Elaine trapped in there, with only a tin of paint and a brush for company. You didn't. I most certainly did. Now pass the popcorn. I'm going to sit back and enjoy this.